You're listening to the Pursue God Truth Podcast, the official channel for faith and life topics at PursueGod.org. Join us every week as we explore new topics from a biblical perspective. Open your Bibles, Mark chapter 10, and today we're going to cover verses 1 to 12, and this is where Jesus answers some questions that the religious leaders pose for him. They're actually just trying to set a trap for him. But they're going to ask him about divorce. They're going to ask him about divorce and remarriage. So today we're going to talk about divorce and remarriage and marriage in general. And before you, you know, hit stop, before you run away, maybe some of you are listening and you're not married and you say, this has nothing to do with me, not interested. Maybe others of you have been married and it didn't work out so well. Maybe you're divorced. Before any of you you know, just kind of bail on this episode. I just want to encourage you to hang in there. Because the goal of today's episode isn't to shame you, isn't to point fingers. The goal of the episode is to see how Jesus so cleverly responded to these Pharisees when they're trying to trap him and trip him up and get him to contradict the law of Moses and their interpretation of it. I want you to see how Jesus responds to these guys And I want you to see how Jesus brings the whole thing right back to God's intention for marriage. You know, it's easy to look at marriage uh, sort of through the glass half-empty perspective, not the glass half-full perspective, but we're going to see how Jesus views marriage. Now, Jesus was never married. Jesus invented marriage, though, right? Marriage was God's idea. Jesus is God. So Jesus has some really powerful things to say about marriage, and that's what we're going to see today as we read through these first 12 verses of chapter 10. You know, I remember right before I got married, I told my dad, I'm going to marry Tracy. I think she's the one. And I I don't remember a lot of pep talks my dad gave me, but this is one of the pep talks I definitely remembered. He pulled me aside. He said, son, this is going to be the hardest thing you've ever done. And that kind of scared me a little bit and intimidated me when he said those words. And maybe some of you are married and you would say amen to my dad. Maybe you would say, yes, it's the hardest thing I've ever done. But I'm happy to report 25 years into it. I'm not saying it's easy. Marriage is hard. No question about it. Whenever you take two human beings and you join them into one household, they sleep in the same bed. You know, Tracy and I, we work together. We take walks together. We do everything together, and for 25 years, it hasn't been perfect, but for 25 years, it's been incredible. It's been, it's been such, a, such a shape. My marriage to Tracy has been the most, form, aside from Jesus, it's been the most formative thing in my life. In fact, I tell the young men that I disciple, so for any of you young men out there listening, I say, go find a wife. We've got a topic on that. We'll put a link to that below. Go find a wife because marriage is a good thing. Yes, it's hard, but marriage is a good thing. Our culture says, hey, look, stay married as long as it suits your needs, as long as you're still happy. But as soon as you're not happy or if she's not happy, just bail on it. You know, say goodbye to that. You can just break up, be good friends. It's almost like marriage these days, people think about marriage and they lower it to like a, like a friendship, like a dating relationship, 
you know, so, you, you know, you dated in high school and if, if there's someone you're dating, you didn't like her anymore, you liked someone else better, you would just, you know, break up and go out with that new person. That's how people treat marriage these days. And we're going to see what Jesus has to say about that. So here's the question I want to start with today before we get into the passage, before we read this interaction between Jesus and these Pharisees. My question is this, how hard would you fight for your marriage? Now, maybe that's a real question that some of you have had to answer or even are answering right now. Maybe some of you are fighting really hard for your marriage. Or maybe some of you just gave up on your marriage. And maybe you gave up on your marriage a little bit too easily. But the question is, how hard would you fight for your marriage? You know, would you fight for your marriage in every situation? Or are there situations where you're like, I'm out, peace out. I'm moving on to the next person. That question really is a good backdrop for us as we get into the text today, because Jesus is basically going to, he's going to answer that question from God's perspective, like how hard should you fight for your marriage? Now, again, if you're young people listening to this, I hope you'll keep listening because one of the things that I really think young people need to have is a vision for a godly marriage. Some of you didn't grow up in a home where mom and dad had a godly marriage. Many of you grew up in homes that were broken. But I want you to continue to listen because Jesus is going to give us a vision for a marriage where both husband and wife are willing to fight for it. And we're going to see that that's exactly the kind of marriage that Jesus wants for all of his followers. If you're a disciple, if you're a follower of Jesus, then I want you to really pay attention to this interaction in Mark chapter 10. So let's get to the text. Starting in verse 1, it says, Then Jesus left Capernaum, and he went down to the region of Judea, and into the area east of the Jordan River. Once again, crowds gathered around him, and as usual, he was teaching them. Some Pharisees came and tried to trap him with this question. Here was their, here was their question. Should a man be allowed to divorce his wife? Now, we're reading this in Mark chapter 10, but if you read the parallel passage in Matthew chapter 19, you'll notice that in in Matthew's gospel, he, he adds the words, for any and every reason. And as we're going to see, that's actually the implication here. This is really any Jewish reader 2,000 years ago or listener 2,000 years ago would have known that this this is exactly what the Pharisees meant. Should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Because they all knew, as we're going to see, they all knew that, yes, a a man should be allowed to divorce his wife. That was actually okay in their culture, not just in their secular culture, but even in their Jewish culture, as we're going to see, even in the law of Moses, it was, there were situations where it was okay to divorce your wife, but they're asking Well, what are the reasons? Like, you know, help us to list this out. Help us to understand the boundaries. The Pharisees were trying to trap Jesus because they wanted him to clarify the boundaries. Like, what's good? What's not good? Give it to us in great detail. You know, the Pharisees loved this kind of detail. They loved to drill down on every situation. They loved to hand rules to their to the people underneath them. They wanted to spell it all out because they were more interested in the letter of the law than the spirit of the law. In fact, they ended up missing they, they ended up missing the spirit of the law in their desire to get all the details worked out just right. 
And so really, essentially what's happening here is the Pharisees are trying to force an interpretation of this passage on Jesus. They said, how would you interpret a passage? We're going to read it here in a second from Deuteronomy 24. And yet we're going to see that they themselves completely misunderstood the passage and Jesus is going to sort of expose them in this text. Now, look, the Pharisees were trained by previous rabbis and the big rabbis, the most popular rabbis, kind of like the big influencers in today's culture, they would end up with a whole school of disciples, all these followers listening to them. Some of those schools and some of those rabbis, the big ones, wrote down their interpretations of the law, in particular of Deuteronomy 24. I'll read that here in a second. And in the second century the BC, these teachings and oral traditions were compiled into a text called the Mishnah. Okay, so the Mishnah, their it's kind of like their commentary on the Old Testament sort of spelled out for them and for you know the people who went to their synagogues, it spelled out what their answer to the question that they asked Jesus was. But they wanted Jesus to answer it because essentially they wanted to, they wanted to show that Jesus was in violation of not just maybe Moses' law, but even you know, the Mishnah. Now, here's the text that was in question. Whenever we read Mark chapter 10, these first few verses, we have to have a finger in Deuteronomy 24 from the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 24, verses 1 and 2. This is God's commandment through Moses. Moses wrote this. Suppose a man marries a woman, but she does not please him. Having discovered something wrong with her, he writes a document of divorce, hands it to her, and sends her away from his house. When she leaves his house, she is free to marry another man. Now look, I know to modern ears that sounds horrible, but just hang in there. This is there's a point to this. I think it's important to understand the context, not just of Mark 10, but also of Deuteronomy 24. And, and I want to make sure that you understand this in the biggest picture here. That's what we're going to see as Jesus responds to them. But before we look at any of that stuff, I, I think it's important to look at the Mishnah. And let's look at what the Pharisees had in mind, the different schools of thought among the Pharisees in Jesus's day. I'm quoting now from the actual Mishnah. The school of Shammai say, so Shammai was, was one of the popular rabbis. Here's what the school of Shammai says. A man may not divorce his wife unless he has found unchastity in her, for it is written, because he hath found in her indecency in anything. So that was one option. Here's another thing that the Mishnah, here's another option put out by the Mishnah. The school of Hillel says this. He may divorce her, even if she spoiled a dish for him, for it is written, because he hath found in her indecency in anything. And here's another one. Rabbi Akiba says, even if he found another fairer than she, for it is written, and it shall be if she find no favor in his eyes. So already we're seeing how confusing this is for the Jewish people 2,000 years ago, because they're like, okay, is it only if she's unfaithful, as the school of Shammai says, or is it if, you know, even if she spoiled the dish, like the school of Hillel says, a little bit more permissive, or is it even just okay to divorce her if you find someone that you like better, kind of like in, you know, junior high, breaking up with somebody? 
Now, the pillar New Testament commentary notes that not even among the Essenes of Qumran, which was the most conservative faction of Judaism in Jesus's day, not even among the Essenes was divorce expressly forbidden. So it seems that from the most liberal Jewish people to the most conservative Jewish people, all of them understood that there are some, at least some cases, where divorce is okay. And the the Pharisees are trying to trap Jesus because I think they're probably expecting that he is going to say, no, divorce isn't allowed. And so if he were to do that, then he's going to end up contradicting Moses' law from Deuteronomy 24. He's going to contradict their own rabbis, their you know, beloved rabbis, and he's going to be you know, branded a heretic. Now, by the way, it also could be a trap because possibly, depending on the region that they're in here, possibly they're trying to get him to say something that you know Herodias and King Herod are going to get wind of. And just like John the Baptist was beheaded because he called out um, Herodias's divorce and then remarriage to Herod, just like John the Baptist was beheaded for that, it could be that the Pharisees were just simply trying to get him to sort of say something that Herod wouldn't like, and then the same thing would happen to Jesus that happened to John the Baptist. Whatever the case, Jesus didn't fall for the trap, because look at what he says in answer to their question, verse 3. He says, what did Moses say in the law about divorce? So I love it. Jesus answers their question with a question. He knew where he knew where they were heading with this. He knew the scriptures. He understood what what they were thinking. He was he was smarter than they were. And so he basically said, what did Moses say, right? He's he's getting them to say it themselves what Deuteronomy 24 verses 1 and 2 had to say, which we've already read. Right? And so they they said, well, he permitted it. He said a man can give his wife a written notice of divorce and send her away. So they were right. According to the letter of the law, they had Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 2, they had it right. But by the way, even though they had the letter of the law right, this text doesn't indicate that they understood the spirit of the law. Reading again from the Pillar New Testament commentary, they say, the intent of Deuteronomy 24 was manifold. Most obviously, it discouraged hasty divorces by requiring a man to stipulate a reason for divorce. In other words, he had to actually go through some paperwork and not just do it willy-nilly. And also by prohibiting him from remarrying his divorced wife. It says it a little bit later on in Deuteronomy Deuteronomy 24. Here's the other thing the commentary said. The certificate of divorce guaranteed the divorcee, the woman, at least a modicum of dignity and the right to remarry another man if she chose it thus safeguarded the rights of the woman as much as possible in a patriarchal culture. I think anytime we read New Testament or Old Testament, we always need to think about the original culture that it was written in. And we have to understand that Deuteronomy 24 was radical because Moses was essentially protecting women by saying this, by putting these requirements on the husband who in some other cultures would have just been able to basically abuse her, divorce her for any reason. And then the the woman basically, like her life was over in that culture. The commentary goes on to say that in the question of the Pharisees in verse four, 
The reference to Deuteronomy 24 no longer serves to limit the ill effects of divorce, but rather it serves as a pretext for divorce. In other words, they were missing the whole point of the law of Moses. The law of Moses was supposed to limit the ill effects of divorce. And what they're trying to do is they're trying to use Deuteronomy 24 as a reason to get a divorce. And this is what religion can tend to do. It misses the whole spirit of the law by being so focused and fixated on the letter of the law. And the next part's really cool because Jesus now in the next few verses, starting at verse five, Jesus is going to now respond. Now notice, he hasn't said anything about Deuteronomy 24. He just said, what does Moses say? They said, well, you know, so basically he's getting them to talk about Deuteronomy 24 because he knows that's what they want to think about. But Jesus refused to frame marriage through the lens of Moses' teaching on divorce. He's not going to do it. Instead, he's going to bring the whole thing back. He's going to bring this conversation back even further. Even You know, you have to turn even further back in your Bibles from Deuteronomy all the way to Genesis, and he's going to bring it back to God's original intention for marriage. Here's how Jesus responds. Verse 5, Moses wrote this commandment only as a concession for your hard hearts. But, quote, God made them male and female, so now he's quoting Genesis, from the beginning of creation, and then once again he quotes Genesis, quote, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one, end quote. And then Jesus said this, since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. Now look, I want to make sure you understand what Jesus is doing here, because I think it's easy to read past this, to think about it only in the context of our modern lives, that, you know, you shouldn't get divorced, that divorce is bad, which is true, divorce is not God's intention. But Jesus is actually trying to say something even, I would say, even more profound here. Remember, the Jewish culture viewed the man as the person in control. This was the Pharisees' question in verse 1. They said, "Can you know, should a man be allowed to divorce his wife? They're thinking about it in terms of men. Because again, in Jewish culture, the men were in charge. Men were the patriarchs. Men held all the authority. Women, women were second-class citizens. And they're framing it in terms of, like, not, not at all thinking about women. They're framing it in terms of men and men's rights and that sort of thing. But Jesus, Jesus comes, let me read it again, what he says. Jesus quotes, the first thing he quotes from the Old Testament, Genesis 1, is, quote, God made them male and female. Now, don't read past that too quickly. This is part, he's actually speaking to men and women Whereas the Pharisees are just focused on men and women aren't even a part of the equation. They're just the victims, essentially. So, so the first thing that Jesus does is he says, look, God made male and female. Because remember, men and women both are created in the image of God, not just men, women as well. And Jesus understands that. But it's pretty clear that the Pharisees don't understand that. The Pharisees, that's not on the radar at all for these religious-minded Pharisees. 
And so Jesus, you know, says, so that explains why man leaves his father and mother. He leaves his family of origin. He's joined to his wife and the two are united into one. So look at what, look at what Jesus is doing is Jesus is bringing both man and woman into view, not just the husband. And then he says, since they're no longer two, but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. So essentially, Jesus is taking them from focusing on what Moses had to say about it and being very husband-centric in the response. And Jesus is backing them up to God's original intention. And his original intention for marriage, by the way, is one man and one woman for life. And and who's the real head of the marriage? God, right? That's what he said. Let no one split apart what God has joined together. So he's appealing to the authority of God over man and woman. Now, I'm not saying by this, by the way, and I don't think Jesus is either. I'm not saying that the husband isn't the head of the home. That's for another conversation. That is true. I believe that that's true. You can Find more on that in our resources if you want to talk a little bit more about that or explore what Jesus believed, what Paul, what the New Testament, what the Bible believes about men being head, the head of the home, the spiritual leader, the, the one who's responsible in front of God for the way a marriage goes, the way a family goes. All of that is true. But by the way, that idea of headship of the man is not about privilege but it's about responsibility. After all, you know, Jesus is the head of the church, and how did he prove it? He died for his bride, right? So, and, and basically that's what Paul says in Ephesians 5, that that's how we should view it in our earthly marriages, is we should be, men should be willing to die for your bride. You should take the bullet for your bride. That's what male leadership means. Men are different from women. Jesus isn't saying that men and women are the same, or that fathers and mothers are the same, or that husbands and wives are the same. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that husband and wife become one, that man and woman become one. They don't become one and the same. They become one flesh. They become unified. And who's the head? It's under God. It's under God's authority. And and that's why Jesus said, let no one split apart what God has joined together. So that's the first thing we notice in this passage is that Jesus is, with his response, he's essentially elevating the position of women in culture. And Jesus did this all the time. Jesus, in biblical Christianity, Uh, you know, as opposed to what our culture says today about it, but biblical Christianity actually has always been good for women. It's always been good for women because women are made in the image of God, just like men are, and God cares about women. Now, these rabbis don't seem to care about women. They're trying to trap Jesus. They've got ulterior motives here, but I love that Jesus's response shows that women are important in the eyes of God. In fact, Jesus isn't just speaking to men. We're going to see this in a little bit. He's actually going to speak to women as well. So not only does he elevate women, but he also basically is calling women to be disciples just as he's calling men to be disciples. So he's going to challenge wives not to get divorced just as much as he's going to challenge women not to get divorced. But the other thing I see in his response where he says, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother is joined his wife, is he's, what he's doing is he's elevating the relationship of husband and wife above the relationship of a son to his parents. Now think about that. In Jewish culture, 
your relationship to your parents was a big deal. It was one of the Ten Commandments that honor your father and love and mother. So that was a huge deal in Jewish culture. The Ten Commandments don't actually say anything about marriage. But what Jesus is doing here is he's saying that a husband's obligation to your wife surpasses your obligation to your parents. So he's essentially elevating this marriage relationship in this really radical way. He's elevating it to this place that, you know, at least equal to the Ten Commandments, if not, if not explaining to the Pharisees and to the Jewish people of his day, and therefore to us today, how important the marital relationship really is. That's one of the effects of this statement that Jesus quotes that's all the way back in Genesis, that a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. And remember, Jesus now, these are his own words. He said, since they're no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. So so Jesus is basically saying this. He's saying, look, I'm not going to fall for your trap. I'm not going to define marriage in terms of the worst case scenario, divorce. I'm going to define marriage in terms of God's original intention. And let's just pause for a second and acknowledge how valuable that is right now. You know, it's so easy to look at marriage, whether you're married or not. It's so easy to look at marriage from a negative, pessimistic point of view. And I think one of the things that we should really consider right here is that Jesus is giving us a different way to view it. Jesus Jesus isn't saying marriage isn't hard, but Jesus is is saying marriage is part of God's plan. Marriage is a gift. Marriage is a blessing. Marriage is is ordained by God. Marriage is stamped, you know, by with God's approval. And you shouldn't split apart what God has joined together. We're not just talking about some outside influence. Husband, don't split apart what God has joined together. Wife, don't split apart what God has joined together. Maybe you're listening to this right now. You found this podcast because you're considering divorce. I'm going to challenge you to keep listening to this. Because Jesus Jesus wants to paint a picture for your marriage that will get you to stick it out, to keep fighting for your marriage. You know, Tracy and I, we counsel a lot of couples in marriage crises. And one of the things, Tracy's a counselor, so she's really, really good at this. One of the things that Tracy does a lot of times if we're sitting there and and this couple is sharing their story and why they're sitting in front of us and why they think that this marriage might not work out. And usually it, usually that's kind of where they are by the time they get in front of us, which by the way is a terrible idea. I encourage all of you married couples to do regular checkups with a marriage mentor, with a pastor, with a counselor, whatever. Do the mar- marriage checkups while things are good so it doesn't have to get to the point that you're sitting in front of a counselor when you're on the brink of divorce. But anyway, so there we are. We're sitting there talking with this couple and the couple is like I'm I'm like I'm curled up in a fetal position as I'm hearing what this couple is saying. I'm thinking to myself and I'm sure it's exactly what they're thinking. This is hopeless. Why? Because I'm only thinking about the picture that they're painting right now in this moment. Well, he said this and she did this and whatever. 
And so it's so easy for us to kind of get caught up into that picture. And I love what my wife does. I love what Tracy does. She, she use, this is a trick she uses a lot. You're welcome to use this, you marriage mentors who, out there, who are out there or maybe marriage counselors. She kind of stops them before we go any further and, and they continue to just like destroy their marriage with their words. She just stops them and she says, can I just ask you to to tell me why you got married in the first place. It's really a great trick because what it causes them to do is to kind of stop, stop like facing each other toe to toe, sort of nose to nose, like they've got their fists up and they're, they're, they're combating with one another. It gets them to stop doing that. And you can even see it as they, if they allow themselves to go back to the early days of their marriage, when they first got married or when they first started dating or whatever, Every single couple smiles when they start telling those stories. Every single couple, as they reminisce on the good old days, like what brought them together in the first place, every single couple, they, it's almost like they snap out of the negativity for at least a minute as they reminisce on, there were good things that brought us together. We did used to like each other. We did used to love each other. We did used to want to be married. And in a sense, I think that's what Jesus is doing here. Jesus, you know, the, the Pharisees are trying to focus on the negative, divorce. When can somebody get divorced? And Jesus is, is turning it around and saying, well, hold on, let's, let's paint the picture that, G, that God had in mind in the first place. Let's, let's paint a better picture. This is God's intention. This is what God wanted. Now, I know it doesn't work like this. I know that real life gets in the way. You have your ups and downs. You have your struggles. Jesus gets it too. We get it. But isn't it nice to just take a deep breath and go back to when things were good? And, and you can go all the way back to Genesis 1 to see where that started. Marriage is a blessing. It's from God. Yes, it's hard, but God wanted a man and a woman to come together for life. That, that was God's intention. One man, one woman for life. And, and Paul, you know, Paul gives it even more honor by, by connecting it to the relationship that Christ has with the church, that a husband should love a wife like Christ loves the church. This is the picture that we should have. Let's not forget, Christians. This is the picture that we should have of marriage, especially when marriage is a struggle. So for you couples out there who are struggling right now with marriage, I really challenge you, hit pause right now before you even continue on. We're going to continue. We're going to finish Mark chapter 10. But for you, maybe just take a second. If you're listening to this podcast, driving along in a car, just hit pause and just say, maybe we should go back. Let's reminisce. Let's think about the, the wonderful times we've had. Let's think about when things were simpler in our marriage before all this sin got in the way and started to corrupt it. Because that's what Jesus is saying. He said, Moses wrote the commandment as a concession to your hard hearts. You know, Mo Jesus isn't just talking to the Pharisees there. He's really talking to every husband and wife. Every one of us, every one of us from time to time gets a hard heart. Every one of us gets a stubborn, rebellious heart toward our spouse. Now, a lot of times it's for good reason. A lot of times it's for good reason. But see what Jesus is saying? G G let, me, let me paraphrase this. Jesus is saying this wasn't God's first and best option. This commandment was a concession. This wasn't his vision for you. 
This wasn't his vision. I want you to hear it. Divorce is not God's vision for any couple. It's not God's vision for any couple. And too many couples today take the easy road out. At least they think it's the easy road. And then they realize how much complication it adds to their lives. Too many couples fail to fight for their marriage because of all the sin, all the, all the junk that, that just enters in because you have two imperfect human beings who are married to each other. And Jesus is saying this isn't God's plan. God's plan was this beautiful vision, husband, wife, male and female for life. This is what God's original plan was. Now, by the way, to you young people who are listening, who are not yet married, I want to encourage you, marriage is a good thing. Young men, go find a wife. Marriage is a good thing. And I think one of the things that young men and young women need to do is to begin to have a vision for their marriage. It's not going to be perfect, but get a vision for your marriage by reading verses like this from from Genesis 1 and from Ephesians 5, or put yourself around another couple an older couple who has a good marriage, not a perfect marriage, because you're not going to find that couple, but a good marriage. Put yourself around that person and say, I want to, I want to see, I want to see what marriage really is intended to be. Because after 25 years of marriage, I can just say this, my wife and I have a great marriage. It's not a perfect marriage because we're both imperfect people, but man, am I so blessed to have a woman who sacrifices for me. And she's blessed to have a husband who puts, I try to put her ahead of myself. I try to to follow Christ's example, how he was willing to die for her. This, This kind of marriage, though imperfect, can completely change your life, the lives of your kids, the lives of the people in your world. So get a vision for marriage. Jesus is doing this. He's painting the the vision for a good, healthy marriage. And then later, it says in verses 10, 11, and 12, later now, after this interaction with the Pharisees, he gets alone with his disciples in a house, and they bring up the subject again. So it probably went something like this. Hey, Jesus, good job diverting the Pharisees' trap and not falling for it. Great job. But can you answer the question for us? (laughs) You know, like, is it okay? Is it okay for someone to get, a, to get a divorce for any and every reason? And here's what Jesus said in response. Whoever divorces his wife and marries someone else commits adultery against her. And if a woman divorces her husband and marries someone else, she commits adultery. Now, again, it's so easy to read this only with you know modern eyes, but I, I want to make sure that you understand how absolutely radical Jesus's statement is here. Let me read it again. He says, whoever divorces his wife. So he's talking about the, the guy right now, because that was the Pharisee's original question. In a male-dominated culture, they're thinking about it through the lens of the man, the man only. The woman has no rights, right? So he says, look, whoever divorces his wife and marries someone else commits adultery, wait for it, commits adultery against her. Isn't that interesting? See what Jesus is doing again? He's elevating the wife. 
And, and that was really Moses' intention all along in Deuteronomy 24. It was about protecting a woman in a male-dominated culture. And so Jesus' first answer, it's a two-part answer, by the way, his first answer addresses the husband. He says, if the husband divorces his wife and marries someone else, he sinned against her. Wow. Again, Jew, you know, toxic masculinity would have a real problem with this. Who's she? She's nothing. She's invaluable. She's not valuable to me. She's a second class citizen. Jesus is saying, nope, you sinned against her if you divorce her and marry someone else. Now, you'll have to check out some of our other resources at pursuegod.org if you want to get into the weeds on the whole issue of divorce and remarriage. That's one of the issues here that's coming up. Some people these days feel really strongly about divorce and remarriage. Some people feel like it's okay. We don't have time in this particular podcast to get in the weeds on all of that. But real quick, let me just share with you some of the schools of thought in modern Christianity on this. Some people believe that Jesus is forbidding all divorce, right? Which would be an escalation of the teaching of the Mosaic law that he's just saying in this verse, and there's some other verses as well, you can look them up. But some people say that Jesus is saying divorce is bad, period, stop, end stop, right? That's it. Now, others, another school of thought says that Jesus wasn't referring to all divorce, but only divorces based on unbiblical grounds. So like, for example, if there's sexual unfaithfulness or if there's abuse, okay? So those are two schools of thought today. Another school of thought is, well, no, it's we're free under, you know, because of grace, we're free to, to divorce Certainly not for any and every reason, but some, some, even some Christians would be a little bit more liberal on divorce. And again, remarriage after divorce is a whole nother thing you have to add into that. I'm not going to get into, again, all of the different options. Maybe talk to your pastor or check out some of our other resources at PursueGod.org on that. I do think it's important to wrestle with it, especially if you are divorced and considering remarriage, or especially if you're considering getting a divorce. Or if you're considering getting married and you want to understand the importance of marriage, one thing for sure is that that divorce is not God's plan A. It's not a good thing. You should never, nobody should get a divorce um, and, and think of it without really co- deeply considering it and seeing what scripture has to say about it. But I want to just, I want to just share a word of caution because I don't know if you noticed how I worded that just now. I said one school of thought, another school of thought. Does that sound familiar? Remember, the Pharisees had schools of thought from the Mishnah. And so I, I think it's, it's good for us to remember that Jesus is trying to get them not to focus so much on, why can I please get a divorce? And can I justify getting a divorce? Jesus is saying, look, that shouldn't be your focus. Your focus should come back to the original intent. Your focus should come back to God's vision for marriage. And, and however you answer the question about divorce and remarriage, I think it's important to really make sure that you're elevating it because that's what Jesus is doing here in this passage. Marriage is a good thing. It's a covenant before God, under God's authority, that a husband and wife take. Every time I've performed a a wedding, and I've performed hundreds of weddings, I've never actually counted, but I've performed many, many weddings. Every time I've performed a wedding, I always use Jesus's words here, you know, that one man leaves one woman. I talk about let no man separate what God has brought together. They speak their vows. They're very, very 
specific vows. I make sure if they're writing, if they're writing, writing their own vows, I make sure that it's a promise because it is. It's a promise you're making before God. Don't make a rash promise before God and all your friends and family. But so many people in our culture today, that's just how they view it. They, they don't view it as a promise or a covenant. They view it almost like a temporary business contract that they're going to they're gonna stick to for as long as it, it works for them. And that is not at all God's vision for marriage. Marriage matters. It's a covenant. There are some cases where, especially abuse, there are some cases, there are some lines to be drawn for sure. Please don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. But also don't misunderstand what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying that you need to take this seriously. So he says, look, first of all, if the man divorces his wife, he commits adultery against her. That's a, that's a pretty huge charge to make. For Jesus to, to equate divorce and remarriage with adultery against your first wife, that's exactly what Jesus is saying. But he doesn't stop there. Look, he says, and if a woman divorces her husband, now again, this is completely uncharted territory for a rabbi, because now Jesus is talking to the woman, not just the man. He says, if a woman divorces her husband and marries someone else, she commits adultery. So look, he's not, he's not saying it's just up to the man, and he's not saying it's just up to the woman. He's calling both of them to account. Jesus' call to discipleship extends to our marriages for both men and women. And divorce should never be taken lightly. It should never be taken lightly. Jesus is saying, husband, wife, take it seriously. And guess what? If both of you take it seriously, if both of you stay committed to one another, work through your sin issues, work through your struggles, your misunderstandings, your hurts, work through that. Commit to serve one another, to love one another, to, to, allow the, to think of the other person as higher than you, then that marriage, though not perfect, that marriage can go the distance. This is God's vision for marriage. Now, I want to end with one more thing. Because some of you are listening to this, you've made it all the way to the end, and you're asking, well, what, what about for me now because I've been divorced? Some of you are listening, and you're You've been divorced. Maybe you're even divorced and remarried. And I just want to encourage you with this thought. Divorce is not the unforgivable sin. It's just not. I think sometimes in our churches, we, we like to elevate our, certain sins higher than the others. Now, some sins have higher consequences or bigger consequences than others, but divorce isn't the unforgivable sin. So if you're in that place, I hope that this podcast episode didn't make you feel shame or condemnation or any of that. I, I hope that you would just hit your knees before God and say, God, forgive me. Open my eyes to what your picture for divorce. Show me how you're going to work even through this difficult situation that is, that is a part of my life, that was a part of my marriage. And I would encourage you to just really give it to God. I'll also encourage you, if you're divorced and you're not remarried, and your spouse is not remarried, I want to really challenge you. I don't know your situation, but I want to really challenge you to pray about and consider consider if that marriage can be reconciled. You know, if you haven't moved on and married somebody else, or if your spouse hasn't, then maybe 
maybe, and I've seen this happen many times, maybe God is going to bring something new. Maybe he's going to restore that marriage and you're going to be able to show the, the value of marriage, not just in God's eyes, but in your eyes. And so for everybody, no matter who you are, I want to just finish with that question that we started with. How hard would you fight for your marriage? You know, the answer should be, I, would, I will fight for my marriage like I'll fight for nothing else. I am going to be as committed to my marriage as, as Jesus wants me to be. And Jesus, Jesus thinks marriage is a good thing.